It is good to see each of you. It's good to be together on a Sunday evening to worship the Lord. If you would be opening your Bibles to Romans the 8th chapter, uh, we will have a few of the scriptures on the screen tonight, but we'll have um, more often just particular scriptures referenced. And so you might want to grab your Bible tonight if you're not uh, ordinarily doing that. And then also out of uh, because of the way the slides are laid out tonight with a lot of passages referenced on them, uh, there are copies at the Information Center if uh, you want to look at these in depth because uh, we're going to be looking more at a topical study tonight and moving at a little bit quicker clip than, than what we'd normally do uh, as we would do an expository lesson. And so some of you uh, I know are going to be saying, hey, I didn't get those. Could I get copies of those? And so I'm just trying to get ahead of you on that. So they're at the Information Center if you need those. It is good to have our West Virginia mission trip guys back. It was a successful trip. Great good was done, and we are thankful for the good that was done there. Uh, I failed to mention this morning. Uh, this morning, Jamie Williams, who's doing an internship up in Virginia, he was here this morning with a group of his kids going to camp at Mid-South Youth Camp. And the Harrises and the Gillespies, uh, they hosted them over the night and took care of them last evening and this morning. And then I believe the Dukes are going to take care of them the night after camp is over before they head back north again. And it's pretty exciting to think that not only is Jamie doing that, but then also he's incorporating his life as a minister in the life of this congregation. And folks are always glad to step up and to do that. And it's exciting to see the work. Uh, that Jamie is doing this summer and uh, continue to pray for our young men. It was exciting to see Wendy Baker uh, baptized into Christ uh, after services this morning. What a blessing it is to see individuals who have a heart for God. They simply want to do God's will. They want to be saved. They want God to be their master. And it was just beautiful to, to see uh, her desire and to see her sincerity. And uh, we rejoice with her and uh, with the heavenly host and with her family uh, during this time. It was a red tractor, a big red tractor. In the village, people would come out every day and they would tie a rope to this tractor and half of them would get in front of the tractor and the other half would get behind the tractor and they would heave and they would pull and, and they would pull that plow through the ground of their field. Some days they would pull that tractor as far as 10 or 15 feet and they would come out every day. In this one field, if they worked hard every day and they always did, they could plow that whole field in three months. They would get the ground turned just in time to come and put the seed in the ground just before the rains came. And then at the end of the harvest, they would have a beautiful harvest, just enough for everybody in their village. And one day, Farmer Don was cleaning out his attic. And he found something no one had ever seen in their village. It was an owner's manual to that tractor. And he began reading it, and he couldn't believe his eyes. According to this manual, that tractor was supposed to be able to pull itself. And according to that manual, the tractor was literally, it had the capability to plow the whole field in less than a day. He was so excited the next morning when everybody arose, he gathered them together and he showed them the manual and he told them what he'd learned. And they all laughed at him. You're silly. There's no way. That book must be a fairy tale. We've been doing this for decades. That tractor... It could never pull itself. Well, as everyone else laughed, each night he would go out with his manual and he began to work on this tractor. 
following everything that it said. And finally, after several evenings in the middle of the night, he was ready. He fired it up and it cranked. For the first time, he heard that beautiful engine. He even flipped on the lights and they worked. So he decided he was going to take it out that night just to make a pass to see what it was like to really plow with a tractor pulling itself. And he made one pass and it was so easy. He was so excited, he turned around at the end of the field and he drove back. And he's so excited, he went back and forth. And, and after just a few hours, he plowed the whole field. But yet he missed a whole night's sleep and he fell asleep on the tractor on the edge. And the next morning, everybody got up and they, they began to look out and they couldn't believe their eyes. Well, that was months of work and, and it was done all last night in the middle of the night. Someone said, it must be a miracle. Others said, I bet aliens have come in. And then a little boy said, no, no. There's Farmer Don over there asleep on the tractor. It must be true. That tractor really must pull itself. That's amazing. Well, what they found out was now they could farm many of the fields around them. And not only could they produce enough for their own village, but they had plenty left over to give to villages where food was scarce. And before long, they became known as the most generous and life-giving community all over. If you're on a deserted island and you picked up the Bible and you began reading in the Gospels and then you read through the book of Acts, would you believe that the Holy Spirit was powerful? Or would you believe that the Holy Spirit is just an object that we pull through our faith? Oh, he, He's something, somebody. Not exactly sure who He is, but we don't ever forget Him. We just pull Him right along in our faith. You'd never think that. Instead, if, if you were picking up the Bible for the first time and you were reading through the Gospels and through the book of Acts, you would declare that there's no way we could enjoy what we enjoy today without the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came down in a, in a miraculous way in the first century to get the church off the ground. Miraculously poured out in Acts 2 upon the Jews, Acts 10 to the Gentiles to get this church started. And then in Acts 2 and, and, and 38, everybody receives another, not a miraculous measure, but another measure of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then last Sunday, we spent all day studying Romans, the 8th chapter. And if you were here, I, I don't have to remind you of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. And so tonight, let's continue our journey of looking to this wonderful, wonderful personality of God. We've studied in past weeks God the Father, God the Son, and let's look at God the Spirit. One of the things that's beautiful is that He is a helper. I'd like for you to look at two verses by way of introduction of Him being a helper. One, in a way to all of us today, and another, in a very miraculous sense, in the first century. But the reason we're looking at it is because it's part of our history. It's a part of what got us off the ground as a church, working through the power of the apostles. First, in Romans, the eighth chapter, look, if you will, in verse 26. Romans 8 and 26. Don't take this word for granted. Likewise, this is Romans 8 and 26. We read it last week. Likewise, the Spirit also helps. If you mark in your Bible and you haven't underlined the word help right there, you ought to underline it. What does the Holy Spirit do for me? He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps. 
in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, that's God searching the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, that's the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Paul, how do you want us to see the Spirit? What do you want us to know about the Spirit? As you know from studying this last week, there's so many things in Romans 8. But here, one of the things he says is, I want you to see him, he's your helper. When you don't know how to pray, when you're in weakness, when you're in infirmity, and you don't know exactly where you're going to get the strength, he wants to help you through that time. When we go over to John, the 14th chapter, we see the apostles at a time in their life where they were very discouraged because they had given up everything to follow Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ is trying to prepare them for the fact of, I'm not going to be walking on this earth much longer. And you can imagine how afraid they were. The one that we've given up everything to walk with, we feel safe with him. He is so wise. He is so powerful. He has all the answers. And now you're telling me he's not going to be with us? And so we read John, the 14th chapter, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. Jesus is saying to the apostles, I spoke this being present. Let's pause here for just a moment. When you read John 13, 14, 15, 16, you're going to read so many verses about the Holy Spirit. And individuals make a bad mistake when they take all of those writings about the Holy Spirit and they apply it to us today as Christians. Most of the things, or at least many of the things that's written in this part of the Gospels is written to the apostles about a miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit that they're going to receive. That doesn't mean we discredit it. We disclaim it. It's beautiful. It is a part of our heritage and our faith. But to say that we're going to receive the same measure of the Holy Spirit that the apostles received is absolutely taking verses out of the context in which they're written. So here, this was written to the apostles. This was spoken to the apostles by Jesus. And notice in verse 26, notice what he's called again. But the helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. So tonight... In a topical style of lesson, let's, let's just list some of the aspects of God, the characteristics of God. And let's begin first with the personality of the Holy Spirit. And, and keep your Bible open right there to John 14. You're probably opened up to John 16 also. And, and look at John 16 there as we think about the personalities of the personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not referred to by Jesus as an it. He's not an object. And and that may be something that you say, that sounds strange to me. Well, there's others of us that probably grew up much more in, a, in an environment that was much more comfortable calling the Holy Spirit it. But it's just not correct in the scriptures. We wouldn't refer to God the Father and say, it's a good father. We wouldn't talk about Jesus dying on the cross and say, it was on the cross. As a matter of fact, we would think that was pretty disrespectful. God the Spirit deserves a lot more respect and it's simply not correct to refer to Him as it. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, Jesus continually referred to Him as He or Him. As a matter of fact, let's scan this in John the 16th chapter. Look at verse 7 and 8. John 16, 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, remember that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when he has come, 
He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now notice as you skip down to 13, how many times we have he or him. However, when he, the spirit and truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come and he will glorify me for he will take <clears throat> of what is mine and declare it to you. There are probably what, 10 or 12 times in just a few verses Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in referencing him with the pronouns of he or him. Now, just another sideline note. Notice, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come to glorify Jesus. Anytime, whether it's us or anyone in religion, begins a greater glorification of the Spirit than of Jesus, it's a good sign that something is not balanced properly in that understanding. One of the great roles of the Spirit was not to come to this earth to take the place of Jesus. It was to help mankind know Jesus and know how to glorify Jesus. That's a real important point to keep in mind, to keep balance of the proper understanding of the Godhead. Now, as we also consider, He speaks. Objects don't speak. But he speaks. When we go to Acts, the 13th chapter, you remember this is when, in verse 2, is when the Antioch church was sending out Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 13 and 2, it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now, did you notice that? The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit speaks. Not only does He speak, what we just read just a moment ago in John 14 and 26, remember it said that He taught the, the apostles all things. And then when we look in Romans 8 and 27, we just read that at the very beginning of this lesson a few minutes ago. And remember it said that He had a mind, that God knows the Spirit's mind. And then when we read in Romans the 15th chapter, and in verse 30, we read that the Holy Spirit loves. Let's read that. Romans the 15th chapter in verse 30, He says, Now I beg you, brethren through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Remember in Ephesians 4, we have the unity of the Spirit in verse 3. And here he speaks of the love of the Spirit. And so when we consider, is he a personality? Absolutely, he is a personality. And he is a powerful personality. And the powerful personality takes us to our second point, and that is he is divine. He is part of the Godhead. Listen, he's not a junior God. He's not a sub-God. He, he, he's not a, a miniature God. He's not some being that, that lived such a, a, a powerful and wonderful and righteous life that he was elevated to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That is our Godhead. And He, God the Spirit, is part of the Godhead. Now, the very first Sunday, I believe it was, in June, we studied characteristics of the Godhead as a whole. So I'm just going to mention these a little bit quicker because we've dwelt on these. And, and to kind of jog your memory, you remember when we talked about these, we talked about how different it is from us because in our existence, all we know are limitations. But in God's existence, He doesn't know those limitations. For example, God is eternal. Right now, you know what you are? You're bound by time. How many, how many of you are saying, 
I wonder if I'm going to get a good place at the fireworks tonight. I hope, I hope he lets out. You know, we're bound by time. And, and, and when, when we look and say, who's God? Well, he's not, he's not bound by time. When, when you read in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 14, he says he literally is called an eternal spirit. And also, he's omnipresent. In Psalms 139 and verse 7, psalmist asks, where can I go from your spirit? And of course, what he's implying there, and if you read it in the context, it's obvious. He's saying, I can't go anywhere and not be in the presence of the spirit. Why? Because he's part of the Godhead. And part of the Godhead, characteristics of the Godhead, is that Godhead is omnipresent. But we also see that true with, he's omnipotent. And we see the great power. In Romans, the 15th chapter, in verse 19, if you're there, Romans 15 and 19, I want to remind you of something that, that perhaps you, you probably already know this, but many of the powers and the miracles throughout the New Testament are attributed to the Holy Spirit. And, and so when the apostles were working miracles, of course, it wasn't by their human powers they were working these miracles. It was because the Holy Spirit was empowering them. As, as a matter of fact, as you're turning there to Romans 15, I'll just remind you in Luke, the first chapter, in verse 35, when you say, how can a virgin give birth to a baby? According to that passage, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered her to be able to give birth to a baby. And so we read this in the 15th chapter in verse 19. This is about Paul going out and, and working with the Gentiles. And, and put this thought on hold just for a minute, because while we're here at this opening, look at the very end of 16. This is just another of the many examples that we see of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. And, and uh, we'll see, we'll mention that again tonight, but we won't read another verse probably about it. But look at, as we read in verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering to the gospel of God, that the offerings of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This consecrated life, this, this life that is sanctified, living a life that fulfills, that, that uh, not fulfills, but produces the fruit of the Spirit, that sanctified life. The Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us to live that life of the Spirit, that sanctified life. But now let's go back and talk about the miracles here to see the power of God. And so Paul is writing here about his ministry to the Gentiles. And he says in 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round to Illyricum and have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So where do these Mighty signs and, and miracles come from. He said, they were by the power of the Spirit of God. You and I are limited in power. God is not limited in power. That is, is such a huge difference in, in deity and creation. Unlimited. Very much limited. And the final is the omniscience. And that is... Uh, of course, the all-knowing. And when we read in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, in verse 13 and 14, and I'll read that quickly. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, 13 and 14, listen to the speaking about the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who, or as his counselor has taught him, with whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the paths of justice? Who taught him in knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. And of course, the answer to all that is no one had to teach him. Why? He's God. The Holy Spirit is God. He knows everything. But now, as we think about the power of God, the Spirit, 
we think about what are characteristics that we need to know that our life intertwined in a relationship with the Godhead could affect that relationship. And, and let's look at a few of these that we mentioned a few of these out of Romans 8 last week also. But let's look at these characteristics. The first one we see is that the Spirit can be grieved. And we see this in two different passages there, even more, but Ephesians 4 and 30 and Isaiah 63 and 10. And say, well, how would we grieve the Holy Spirit? Be turning to Acts the fifth chapter and we'll see an example of the Holy Spirit being grieved here, no doubt, because the Holy Spirit was being lied to. In Acts the fifth chapter, we have Ananias and Sapphira, and they lied about the sale price of, of the land that they had sold. In the fifth chapter, Peter said in verse three to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now notice in the very next verse, he ends that verse in verse four by saying, you have not lied to men, but to God. So see, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Then he says, you've lied to God. Godhead. And, and then we look at verse 9 and we see that also he, Peter speaks to the wife and says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Now notice here, he tells one, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. He tells the other, you're testing the Holy Spirit. Back up in Ephesians, he says, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And notice, all of this is around the topic of sin. Sin hurts us. And the Godhead hurts when we hurt. If you are a loving parent, it hurts you to see your children hurt. The Godhead hates to see us hurt. Sin hurts us. And so it grieves the Spirit as if a loving parent would say, oh, please don't do that. Don't bring that into your life. You're going to have to reap consequences of that. That's going to be so painful. I hurt because I know that you're hurting yourself. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit. Also, we should not resist Him. Look in the seventh chapter. We're close there in verse 51. This is what uh, the Jews were told by Stephen. And, and notice it helps us to understand what it means to resist the Holy Spirit when we look at the first half of this verse that is connected to this. He says to them in 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So now he says, not only have you done this, your fathers have done this. Well, what have they done? They've had a stiff neck. They've heard the preaching of Jesus Christ. They have heard the truth presented. And instead of having a humble heart and turning their necks and saying, we repent, we're sorry. Instead of having a tender heart that's been pricked, Acts 2 and 37, they were, even though they were guilty of crucifying Jesus, they were pricked in their heart. They had a heart that was, uh, that was circumcised. But these individuals have an uncircumcised heart. They have a stiff neck. They're just not going to be turned. They're not going to yield their heart and their life to God. So what were, how was that described? Stephen says, that kind of life, that's resisting the Holy Spirit. Friends, hardening your heart is real. Resisting the Holy Spirit is real. Maybe you've seen individuals that during the invitation song, 
They squeeze the back of the pew so tight their, their knuckles become white because they know what they need to do and they just won't do it. And months go by. And they stop squeezing the pew. Their knuckles stop turning white. And their heart starts being hardened. They've resisted the Spirit so long that the living truth no longer has that same power in their life. If you still feel guilt for wrongdoing, be thankful. But then, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Respond to the truth so as to have the fruit of the Spirit lived out in our life. Instead of gripping the pew, we can have the fruit of the Spirit that says joy and peace. Let's, let's move on here. Notice we can also despise the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm going to have to really pick up the pace here, but you, you see these passages and, and uh, you can study these. And it talks there in Hebrews 10 and 25, 29 about not despising the Spirit. And that's a rich passage that talks about how, uh, how we work against the, the uh, blood of Jesus Christ and the covenant that was purchased and, and, and then also how we despise the Spirit. And wouldn't it be terrible? Now, I, surely none of us here would verbalize the words, I despise the Holy Spirit. But wouldn't it be terrible if the way we ignore the power of God's truth by not living it in our life, that God would look down right now and say, you might not verbalize it, but that's exactly what you're doing. And, and so we need to be humbled by that. And we need to make sure that our life is attuned to the Godhead. And, and then let's look now at a list. And when you see this list, it's actually going to be two slides, but we're only going to mention these. And, and now we're going to look at some divine works of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if we were to go back over time, and by the way, over the next couple of weeks, what we'll do is we'll look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And so a lot of these next two slides we'll cover a little more in depth. And then also I hope that we'll have time to look at at least one lesson to see uh, where is it in our U.S. history, if you will, where some of these notions of these far out understandings or misunderstandings and confusion about the Holy Spirit, where did that start? Because friends, if we don't understand some things like that, the easiest thing for us to do is relive the history and make the same mistakes again. And so let, let's consider these things about the divine works. Number one, when we think the power of the Holy Spirit was literally in creation. When we talk about you know, verse 1 of Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. But the first member of the Godhead that's mentioned specifically is the Holy Spirit in verse 2. And then when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Romans, the 8th chapter, we are told there that it was the Holy Spirit that through his power that Jesus Christ was resurrected. And we've already mentioned that many of the miracles in the New Testament, they are giving credit to the Holy Spirit. And then also the revelation of God's message being known to mankind in the first century was very much miraculous and that was by the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, there in Galatians, the first chapter, when, when Paul came into the light and learned that Jesus was the Son of God, where did he learn all the details? Well, in Galatians, he says, I didn't sit down with a man. In other words, other apostles didn't pull up a chair and say, let me teach you more about Christianity. He says... I had a revelation from Jesus Christ. I learned what I know about Christianity in a miraculous fashion. And then when we think about inspiration, and this is powerful because this is talking about the book that you and I are holding in our hand that we love. It's God's Word. This book in 2 Peter 1 and 20 and 21, it's given to us 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's inspired. The writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The intercession that we studied last week in Romans 8 and 26, the sanctification that we've already mentioned last week and tonight, and the comforting, we've already looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit comforted the apostles when Jesus was leaving them. He was a, a gift from God to them. And then the reproving and convicting, we already read that in John 16 and 8. What convicts us of our sins? It's the message that the Holy Spirit gave to us and that to us today is in a written form. I would like to close this lesson this evening, if you will, by turning to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. I want us to look at the power of this message as we relate it to the fact that hopefully tonight all of us have seen from the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, He is alive. He is a part of the Godhead. He is powerful. He is a helper in our lives. And, and then when we take those understandings about the Holy Spirit and lay it down beside the truth, the truth, what does all that mean? You realize that this isn't just an isolated book that sets apart from the Godhead. This is literally the Word of God. And this isn't our archaic book that was written several thousand years old that just happens to still have some good stuff in it. This book right here is just as much alive as if God chose, and He's not going to do this, but if God chose to send Jesus Christ, remember John 1 and 1, Jesus is the Word, what if God sent Jesus to you and in the morning Jesus woke you up and he said, I have a message for you this morning. I want you to live to, to glorify God today. I want you to, to really give God the praise and the glory that he is due. I want you to, to give your all to abstain from sin. I want you to look for somebody to help today and make a difference in their life and give me the glory. If Jesus woke you up in the morning and he talked to you like that, what would that mean to you? What if the Holy Spirit was manifested in some form that you could see in the morning and, and, and He woke you up and He told you a message like that? Would you get up and say, I've got to do that? Is this book any less alive and real and powerful? If it is less than that in our lives, we're misunderstanding what this book is all about. Let's close with this. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter... Look at verse 12. The Word of God is living. Let that sink in. The Word of God is living. He's talking about this written Word right here. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Friends, this evening, let's love God. Let's love the message that God has for us and realize it is alive. God is literally wanting to talk to us every day and give us wisdom and give us direction and let us know you're not alone. You're not sitting out there by yourself. I've made sure that there has been a helper sent to mankind Ever since I sent Jesus to dwell on that earth tonight, are you adopted? Back to Romans 8. Are you adopted into God's family where we'll never be alone? You've heard me say it before, but think about it in the context of what we've studied this evening. I was not saved to walk this way alone. God didn't save us to be some distant God. 
God saved us and said, let me give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me have someone that's going to walk with you. It's going to give you a message that's living and powerful. Do you know that God? Friends, nobody will love us the way God does. No one can provide for us what God does. Nobody is worthy of your life except God. Tonight, let's all leave here servants of God, children of God, in love with God. If you need to be immersed into Christ, we'd love to assist you with that. We saw a beautiful example of that this morning. If you want to come back to the Lord, we want to pray with you. I hope I can say there's no arrogance in this congregation. Every one of us have been in need of prayer in our life. Every one of us have been somewhere that we wish we hadn't have been. But none of us have to stay there. Let's make sure we leave here tonight with real independence. Independence from sin. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.